Um, Pastor Jeff kicked us off really well last week with uh, our first installment of this series, talking about our relationships. And essentially what this series is all about is our ebbs and flows, our highs and our lows with all relationships, not just talking in a romantical sense, but also talking about our friendships, our parental relationships, our relationships with our kids, everything like that. So today I want to broaden the spectrum a little bit. Let's get out of the romantic mindset. I mean, we're going to touch a little bit on that today too, but for the singles in here, all the singles, we're going <laughs> to, I want this to hit home to you as well, because like I said, my heart today is that every demographic gets hit in here. Amen? And as we're talking about grow as we go, life is full of relationships. And as Pastor Jeff mentioned last week, that relationships are God's idea, completely God's idea. And if we want to be successful at them, uh, I think we need to get a God-sized vision for them, meaning we need to look to his word. Uh, how many in here had a, like a really awkward first date? If you raise your hand, if you think back in your memory bank, somewhere in there, there was just a really, like, you wish you could trash that one. It was a dumpster fire, like, get rid of it kind of thing. Raise your hand. People, I'm putting my hand up because I'm about to tell you mine. Okay. So, I mean, it wasn't even a first date. I was invited to go out to a movie. I'm gonna guess, let me set the setting for you. 1998, 13 years old. Yeah. And invited by a friend. You know, this friend, how do I say it? He had more complimentary, symmetrical features about him. Um, he was basically like Harry Styles, Da Vinci, or not Da Vinci, DiCaprio, all mixed in one. And he had, you know, he was in a relationship. He's like, hey, why don't you come out to a movie? And I'm like, third wheel, sweet. Yeah, sounds good. I'll be there, buddy. Um, so I did what any 13-year-old would do in 1998. I put down the, the N64, and I cleaned up my room for my $5 allowance and got driven down by my mom to the Penmar Theater in Penticton, BC. It's not called that anymore, nor does it exist. I don't try to look it up, but uh, Penmar Theater. And in those days, you didn't really know, unless you looked at the marquee or the, like this, the, the poster on the side of the building, whether the movie was sold out or not. So I walked in confident. I'm like, this is going to be a great a great experience. I walk in with my $5, I pay my admission fee, and I look up, and all the movies are sold out except one, which I think we have the poster for it here. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> all dogs go to heaven, part four. It took them four tries to get all the dogs to heaven. <laughs> and for all you cat people out there, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, so this was the only thing playing. And as I waited for my friend and his date to arrive, which they did eventually, I awkwardly stood by the theater door. And then he, he failed to tell me that he also invited another individual from our class. And I had no intentions of dating or anything like that. But he put the invite out because he thought it'd be funny to try and set up a blind double date. And I'm just like, not having it. So she shows up. She pays her admission. She's looking awkward and scared as all get out. And she walks in, and we're all four standing there by the theater door. We're like, yeah, you ready? I guess we're, yep, let's go. So we walk into the theater, and as you would as a 13 on a double date, you sit near the back, and I sit down, like, furthest away, and then she sat next to me, and then my friend and his date. And we're not even into the previews. And he's already made his move. And awkwardly, she's sitting there, I'm sitting there, and like, I was still the same height I am now as I was at 13. <laughs> and the back of the theater seats were like really close together. So I'm like, if we're gonna get all the dogs to heaven, this is gonna be a long movie. I need to be comfortable. 
And so I started like adjusting my seat position and I think she like thought it was, I was trying to like make a move and she starts bawling. She's crying her eyes out as if her dog just went to heaven. Like she was, she was so distraught and she stood up and ran out of the theater and left me to watch the dogs go to heaven by myself as my friend was preoccupied. So I say this all, and this is a true story. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, I say this all because as we look at our relationships, it is free to accept an invitation, but it's costly to go the journey. An invitation is absolutely free, but it's very expensive, sometimes emotionally expensive, to go the journey after accepting that invitation. And when we talk about relationships and all the ones that we have in our life, Jesus didn't leave this one out of the book. He gave us instruction on how to do this. And so today, four-point sermon. Y'all ready for this? Yeah? Pens? Notes out? Let's go. You're not ready? You are ready? Let's get into it. We're going to use the following scripture as our guiding point when we talk about relationships. And for the sake of today's message, again, we're broadening this perspective. So you may be in a romantic relationship. I want you to basically cater whatever problem you're having with any relationship today and use that as, as our foundation to work from. Matthew 4, verse 18 says this. Walking along the beach of the Lake of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, later called Peter and Andrew, and they were fishing, throwing their nets into the lake. It was their regular work. It was their regular work. Jesus said to them, come with me. I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask questions, but simply dropped their nets and followed. Verse 21 says, a short distance down the beach, they came upon another pair of brothers, James and John, Zebedee's son. These two were sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, mending, fishing, mending their nets. And Jesus made the same offer to them. And they were just as quick to follow, abandoning boat and father. Before we go any further, can we just, can we just highlight the intentionality of what Jesus is doing here? Like, Jesus knew he had three years of ministry to get the job done. Starts his ministry at 30, ends at 33, and so he's showing up, and he's ready to get this mission going. And there's nothing that Jesus did unintentionally. So Jesus wasn't just basking in the sun on the sand and making sandcastles and counting seashells. Like, this is not his intention at all. He knows he has 1,095 days to accomplish his mission. And what he does is intentionally show up to these fishermen. And the first point of his relational spiritual mission is this. Number one, write this down, is invitation. Invitation. Where does every relationship start? It starts with an invitation. He says, come with me. Now, at this point, Jesus is not a stranger to them. It's not like some, some rando shows up on the shore and is like, come with me. Like, it wasn't like that at all. Jesus was already preaching in the area. He already had a reputation that he had built up. He had a credibility about him that he had built up, which speaks to the immediate action that the disciples took out of that boat. They knew who he was. They didn't sit there and contemplate it and question it. And I think sometimes when we get an invitation, 
We'll take days to contemplate it and consider it. But I, I really want to start today's message by inviting you to a question being, what is the credibility of the invitations you're considering right now? Who's inviting you into something in this season? Who's asked you to join them in this season? Maybe there's somebody in this room right now that is considering a job offer and the salary is way above what you've ever imagined before, but you're you're wondering if it's going to sacrifice your peace of mind because you don't know the credibility of the employer, but the opportunity seems really good. Maybe there's somebody in here that's been invited into somebody's life and the relationship has just kicked off and you're considering, is this a good relationship? I don't know. We've been dating for a while. He didn't get me flowers on the first date. I don't know if it's worth it. His mom drives him around. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it may be. Where is the credibility and character in the invitations you're accepting into your life? We often don't, I ask this because we often don't do our homework. We won't do the background check, but then we'll end up tied into a relationship and we regret it because it's so much easier to invite somebody into your life than it is to evict them out of it. It's harder to exit them out of your life once you've invited them in. Let's go back to our guiding verse. Following invitation, Jesus gives us another hint towards managing our relationships. Point number two is direction. Not only did he say, come with me, but he said, come with me, I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. Now, if I was a fisherman, and that was my regular work, and dude shows up on a shore and tells me he's going to make me a new fisherman, I would be like, carpenter, I do this every day. Like, fishing is what I do. I go home smelling like fish. I'm a fisherman. Who are you as a carpenter to tell me what to do? And I think sometimes in our relationship, we actually engage in the relationship, and then we try to change the other person. We try to get them to live up to our expectations, to our preferences. Well, if you would just do this a little bit more, you know, you you never really, like, why can't you be more like, (laughs) or whatever it may be. And the key thing here is that Jesus isn't trying to change them. Like, Jesus didn't show up on the shore, and he's like, hey, I think you guys should be firemen. Peter, your name's going to be The Rock. Maybe you should be a geologist. Like, Like, he's not trying to shift what they do. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. Same function, but a different direction. Still fishermen. We're still fishing. But we're not fishing for fish anymore. We're fishing for people. And I think that when we engage in a relationship, the goal isn't to change the person, but the goal is to go in a progressive direction together. Jesus has no intention of changing what they do. He does have an intention of changing the direction in which they do it. Same function, different direction. Fishing takes patience, consistency, and gets messy. And sounds a lot like dealing with people, doesn't it? Steve Maraboli, who's an author, said, I find the best way to love someone is not to change them, but instead help them reveal the greatest version of themselves. So as we move on to the third intentional action that Jesus did for relationships, again, I want to reiterate, this is not strictly romantic relationships because it can get confusing as I go on here. We're going to go to John 13. This is a new verse. 
This is now at the point in Jesus' later stage in ministry. He's sitting down. He's having the last supper with the disciples. And some stuff's about to happen. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Now, if that's not enough to leave here today with, I don't know what is. Set aside his robe and put on an apron. Where in your relationships are you still wearing the robe and somebody else has been wearing the apron for way too long? Where in your relationship do you need to set your pride aside and start serving? Sometimes we stay in a relationship just because the relationship is serving us and we lose sight of the fact that it is a two-way street, both people sacrificing, both people serving one another. And what Jesus models so clearly here is that he was willing to get down to a level where the disciples saw him at their level and he elevated them up. Put down your robe, put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. And then Peter persisted. Like, if you have ticklish feet in this congregation, like, you would persist just the way Jesus, or Peter did. He's like, you're not going to wash my feet, ever. <laughs> like, ever. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. And Peter replies, Master, not only my feet then. Wash my hands, wash my head. Peter is saying, like, if you're going to serve me, like, serve all of it. And if we're going to choose to serve the people that are most significant in our lives, we can't just choose the times or the specific moments that we want to. It's like we serve them full-heartedly. We serve them without condition. My city care is all about that, isn't it? We just serve. Jesus postured himself in such a way that made him lesser and put value on the other. His kingdom, guys, is backwards. And serving one another is in a humble relationship, like that is intimacy. So some of you may be in a situation, I mean, I remember when I was younger going into the relationships and you're looking for those butterflies and you watch all those Nicholas Sparks movies, right? And you're feeling all the, you know, walk to remember and like I named a star after you, all those things. And that's really cute and everything. Um, but I think what happens is that's the infancy stage of relationship. You know, I think of like a child. You don't give a child, like, a 52-inch plasma TV. You just don't do it. Like, you give them little toys and stuff. And they're cute, and they make noises. And we got our daughter. I think they were, like, squeaky shoes. That was the worst idea ever. <laughs> Everywhere she went. And I'm like, it was cute for, like, the first 10 minutes. But what I'm trying to say is that our relationships, even romantically in our infancy stage, they're cute, we're looking for the feelings and everything, but as that relationship matures, it starts to look different. You start to serve different. And you put more intentionality in supporting the other person. Is that okay? You guys following me? It's good. Do you receive more from your relationship than what you give into it? Are you serving in your relationship, or is the relationship simply serving you? Okay, let's move on to number four. 
final one, or four, devotion. Jesus modeled devotion. Devotion was modeled in the scriptures. So let's do a quick recap. Number one, invitation. Number two, direction. Three, intimacy. And four, devotion. In the scene of the Last Supper, Jesus speaks up about who's going to betray him. They're having this conversation, and Jesus is like, I know who it is, and all this stuff. But in verse 23, I want us to see something a little bit profound. John 13, 22 says this, The disciples looked around at one another, wondering who on earth Jesus was talking about. And one of the disciples, the one Jesus loved dearly, was reclining against him, his head on his shoulder. The one who Jesus loved. Wouldn't it just be like, like John to write in his own book that he was the one that Jesus loved? I could just imagine the strut that he had walking around next to Jesus like, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Jesus loved me more than... <laughs> yeah, just... He had swagger. Like, it was different. But we're going to tear this apart a little bit, and I want you to see, I want you to see the, the value in it. The one who Jesus loved, we see this phrasing six times in the book of John, and only one of the times it was used for Lazarus, and the other five times was used for little Johnny, the one that Jesus loved. And it bothers me a little bit because I have a hard time balancing how Jesus would separate or balance the scales of his affection for his disciples. I think he loved everyone very differently. But the more I reflect on John's journey, I see a path of devotion. Because when we look at the first scripture that we read at the beginning of this message, John was one of the first four that was called out of the boat. And John was the youngest. But then we also see John taken with Jesus up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John went up with him. And then we also see Peter, James, and John invited to go heal the dead girl. And then we see John again. And we only see John this time. And that's at the foot of the cross when Jesus was dying. Every other disciple left, except for John. And I say this because the more I reflect on John's journey, I see a path of devotion. And what I find interesting is his dedication to Jesus. Being the youngest, he had every reason to back out along the way. And actually, if you look throughout history, John was the only disciple that didn't die of martyrdom. He died of old age. And I think Scripture is trying to tell us something in here is that there is a value to commitment. There is a value to dedicating yourself to going with somebody through their highs and lows, to being there in the last moments, the hardest moments, the painful moments. And it begs me the question for you today is that at what point did it become too emotionally expensive that you ran away from possibly a really great opportunity? Or that it got too hard and you separated yourself from the situation because you couldn't deal with the pain? When we talk about relationships, God is a restorer, God is a healer, and God is very purposeful in what he does. And I think that the people that he places in our lives are very significant, but it could be possibly that you're sitting here today and you're sitting in a relational void because somebody that was very significant to you is no longer here anymore. The disciple that Jesus loved was a title that John gave to himself, but I believe Jesus 
stands full-heartedly behind relationships where you are there for one another, not only at the beginning, but also take the entire journey and remain faithful to the end with people. God has a heart for those that commit, are resilient, and willing to go the extra mile. Who was with you then and who is still with you now? Much harder question might be, who did you start with but ran when the stakes got too high and when the relationship became too, it's just too expensive, I can't do it anymore, I can't, and we leave. I want to show you something. This is the engagement ring that I got my wife uh, just about 16 years ago. Now, front row privileges, see that? Well, yeah, it would be nice if the diamonds were still in it. Um, but yeah, it lost its, its, yeah, it's been through, it's been through some things. Um, and don't zoom in on this, because I didn't, you know, I was 22, and you do what you can. So, <laughs> thank you, though. Um, and in that, there, I remember, it was a couple, I don't know, it was a week or so after my wife got it. Like, she was coming home from work, and she was freaking out, because she lost the ring. Gone. So what we do that night, we went walking up and down the streets of Penticton, trying to, like, her regular path to work, trying to look for this ring. And it makes me kind of want to beg the question to you, because at, at that, I remember this stage. This was, everything was beautiful and butterflies, and it was, like, the ring was gorgeous, and you're just, you're just in that moment. And it makes me want to beg the question to you, at what point, at what point, where did you lose through your relationships? Where did you lose it? Because that was the first question I asked her. And it's the most annoying question to ask somebody when they've lost something. When did you last have it? <laughs> I probably said it to my son like 10 times a day. Where did you have it last? But it's, I think it's very fitting for our situation here today because not just, let me just take this a little bit further, not just your relationships, but like with people, but your relationship with God. Maybe there's someone here today where you had a fire with God, like there was a day that God did something like unforgettable in your life and you went home, you're just like, I'm wrecked, I'm wrecked. I don't know what happened to me, like God's changed my life. And then months or months later, like you don't feel the same fire anymore. You don't have the same feelings anymore. You're kind of distant from church and you've kind of secluded yourself and you're trying to figure out life alone. Am I speaking to anybody here today? Is this, do you know where we found this ring? At home. It was in our bedroom on the floor. And I say that because, and let me just talk like broader, broader span relationship here is that there are some people in this room where God lit a fire inside of you to do something significant and you were going to church, you had the rhythm down and everything like that, and then people soured you. The situation got tainted. It got messy, and you left. And then you started church hopping for a little bit, and you couldn't find where, where you fit in anymore. I'm talking to college students in here. Maybe you grew up in the church, and you gave it a chance once, and you walked away, and you're trying to figure life out and using your career as an excuse. Can I just, for a moment... We found it at home. 
can I just charge you to come back home? Can I charge you to give God another chance? Maybe you're sitting in here and you're spinning your wheels out there and you're trying to figure out life out and you're in and out of relationship and you certainly, like, you don't feel God anymore. You're kind of questioning his existence completely. But we found this at home. And God wants to specifically surround you with people, with a church body, to get your feet rooted in, to secure your foundation. And we keep running from it. Can I just ask to whoever this is for this, like today, that you would come back home, that you would lock yourself in community, that you would be willing to trust and be vulnerable with relationships again, that you would allow God to heal your heart and have the courage to walk through those front doors every Sunday, believing that God wants to do another miracle in your life and he's not gonna fail you, that he is your firm foundation and cannot be shaken. For whoever that is for, God desperately wants to restore relationship with you. And the church isn't the same without you. And it's not because we need you. It is because God wants to do something significantly through you here. Amen? Don't quit. Don't walk away. Let's do a quick recap. Number one, invitation, direction, intimacy, leading to devotion. These four steps, we get them right. It is a good, solid trajectory for relationships. The problem is we jump steps. We will go from being invited into somebody's life right down to intimacy, not talking about direction, not even worried about where we're going, but we're just so caught up in love that it doesn't matter. And yet it does matter further on down the road because you end up like two people who don't know where you're going anymore. And there's no foundation to build your life on. Many of you have grown up in the church where it's like, well, don't be unequally yoked. And, all, and, and you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it. But I've been in ministry 15 years, and I've seen it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again where people are just like, I love you. You love me. Cool. We're attracted to each other. Let's just figure this out. And there's no, there's no talk. There's no strategy. There's no heart connection, being like, hey, we're going in the same direction. There was a purpose why Jesus told him, I'm not going to let you fish for fish anymore. I'm going to get you fishing for people because the reward is in the greater. You could fish all your life and you'll still go home smelling like fish. But when you start fishing for people, you go home feeling rewarded. You go home feeling like you're on point. You go home feeling like you have purpose. And for your relationship, there is nothing stronger than two people that are dead focused on God being the center of the relationship and headed in the same direction. The enemy trembles at that, trembles at it, because two are better than one, and three is a stronghold. Three is a core that cannot be broken. So with God in the, like, you guys hear me today? And I'm not chastising anybody. Like, earlier on in our years, we had it all wrong. Had it all wrong. But that's the great thing about God is he can take something that is so broken and, and so convoluted and doesn't even make sense anymore and he can make clarity out of it and give it like a brand new look. Now, I haven't gotten my wife a new ring yet. But every now and then, you open the drawer and you just look at something like this and be like, yeah, it's missing its stone, but it's still strong. And my 
My love for her is no longer in its infancy stage. Guys, don't quit doing the flowers. That's very important. But, but it's a different kind of devotion. And it's a different kind of, it, it's being there through the hard times, through the hard conversations. Not every fight is a failure. Some fights are actually seeds for your future. So when it gets hard, don't, don't call it off and be like, well, this isn't working anymore. It's like, no, 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 God is still working in it. It's a whole bunch of stuff I talked about I didn't even want to go into. But you know what? It's, when we go from invitation directly, intimacy in a romantic sense, we miss the direction. We owe it to ourselves and one another to clear the balance sheet and give each other another chance. Takeaway today is this, every relationship Every relationship, friendship, courtship, if that term even means anything to anybody anymore. Every relationship deserves a direction. And if you're feeling lost in your direction right now, it's time to have that heart-to-heart conversation. Be like, where are we going? Because I'm on a mission. I don't know how many years left I have to do it, but this matters to me. Every minute matters. Every hour matters. Every day matters to make sure that I'm fulfilling my call with Christ. And if you're not in the picture, like, we need to figure this out. Here's the good news. Jesus gave us an invitation, guys. Continues to give us an invitation. And you're sitting here thinking, like, well, I'm way too far gone, or, or I, I just I gave up on God a long time ago. I've got no, I don't feel anything for it. Can I just remind you that your feelings are fickle and God's faithfulness doesn't shake? Like, and if God feels distant in your life because his name is Emmanuel, which means ever-present, then you're the one who moved. We caused the distance, not him. He's always been there. Jesus gave us an invitation, showed us a direction, continues to model what intimacy looks like, and he has eternally devoted himself to us. It says so in scripture. And the least we can do is return the favor to him. I get you guys to stand for a moment. Put that call out again. Come back home to whoever is, is that that's for. Come back home. Get back into the church. Because even on its worst day, I heard Nathan Finocchio say this, so I'll give him credit, but even on its worst day, the church is still the best thing in this world. Everything else will pale in comparison to God's church because it is unstoppable. And everything else is man-made. And like, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to know I've been really disappointed <laughs> with everything that man makes. I continue to be surprised by what God does. And maybe you're in this room right now and it's, it's time for restoration. Like you're, you're in a relationship right now. You're just like, I don't, God, I just need your wisdom in this. Can we just close our eyes for a second? I wanna pray over you. God, I thank you for every person in this room. God, I thank you for the people who are still picking up the pieces of their shattered heart, trying to navigate life. Lord, we pray for restoration over their hearts. Pray for peace over their minds and souls. Father, we thank you that you have the ability to take broken things and restore them so that they're in a better state than when you found them. So Father, we thank you that your spirit is moving in this place. It's giving people hope and courage to be able to, to, be able to risk and love and forgive. Father, we thank you that relationships were your idea and you gave us the wisdom to be able to navigate them. Today we receive it, God. And we thank you that you can take anything and make it good. 
We thank you, God, for the prodigals that are coming back home. We pray that they know they still have a place. They still have a purpose. They still have a divine and significant hand in your game and in your kingdom. So, Father, I pray for those feeling powerless right now or lost that you would fill them. God, with visions of what you have for their life. In Jesus' name.